Hey guys, welcome to the Rugby Strength Coach podcast, episode number three. This is Keir from RugbyStrengthCoach.com, and today's guest is Will Stewart, who is the rehab coordinator for Australia Sevens. Thanks very much for taking part, Will. Thank you very much, Keir. Um, so, do you want to start off by kind of introducing um, yourself to people and uh, kind of tell them how you uh, how you got to where you are in your career? Um, yeah, uh, sure. Um, yeah, as Keir said, my name is Will Stewart. I'm the Current rehab coordinator with the Australian Rugby Sevens team, uh, which encompasses both the men and the women. Um, yeah, so I went to university as most people did and got a got an education through there. I went to Charles Sturt University, which is in Australia, and New did, South Wales. New South Wales, and yeah. did a Bachelor of Exercise Science. Um, during that time, I had to do work experience, and I went down to the Brumbies, the ACT Brumbies in Canberra. I didn't know that. Yeah. Who's in charge there then? Uh, Rod Linsell. Was oh, so it wasn't uh, David Marsh? No, no, no. Rod oh, Linsell okay. and Marcus Kane were there at that time. How was that? Was it good? It was awesome. So that's kind of what kick-started me into doing S&C through okay. those boys. So, um, yeah, I knew one of the guys that was in the academy there, so I stayed on his floor and kind of followed Rod and Marcus around and... Filled oh, okay. up ice baths and filled up water bottles. How long was that for? Just two weeks. Ah, yeah. oh, yeah. see, I didn't know about that. We've no. never talked about that before. Yeah, so two weeks doing that. So that's what kind of kind of kick-started me into what I wanted to do. Um, so, yeah, while I was at uni, after after that, kind of got in, got more involved and more interested in the strength and conditioning side, spoke to lecturers who were heavily involved in strength and conditioning and tried to do some stuff for them. Um, through that, I did some stuff. Out of uni, I did some stuff working with some female rugby players who were vying to go and play for the Wallaroos, so I helped train them, supervised all their gym stuff, did on-field conditioning with them. It was pretty much a program sent out by the AAU, and then I just put them in place. And... Was that um, during your degree? Or yeah, that, no, that was during my degree. So you were actually getting experience whilst you were yeah. in so, You yeah. worked a lot faster than me then. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think I, didn't do I, don't think I was, wasn't doing much. Uh, yeah, so I did that for a couple of months, and then... Yeah, kind of tried to do as much as I could with uh, one of the lecturers, uh, Stephen Bird, now that Charles did it. And um, yeah, so pretty much tried to follow him around everywhere. And yeah, we were, I was a massive pest. Uh, we used to go to the gym together. Um, yeah, just try to learn as much as I could. He's very, very practical, very helpful. And then they actually run a strength and conditioning internship out of the uni. And he asked me, because one of the girls dropped out, and he asked me to to help out with that so I did the boys hockey squad within the university yeah, yeah. Oh, no it wasn't within the university it was like the Western Region Academy of Sport which encompasses a fair few towns out in the central west of New South Wales oh, okay. and it was a satellite program so, so I kind of like scholarship athletes right yeah sort of yeah so designed their program and then through like, yeah, what they call a satellite program so they kind of we met every few weeks go through some gym stuff off they go They'd come back, have hockey training, and I'd go along to that and just look after them. So, yeah, that was really beneficial. Learn a fair bit about trying to kind of manage athletes, and then I'd train all the ones that were based. How much of a gap was there between um, what you learned at university and the reality of, of what you're facing? With um, oh, at that time, it was like all pretty, like you just implement all the stuff you learn at uni. Yeah. And that was like, I was, yeah, it was a good, good learning curve, but. You were still in that awesome phase where you knew everything, right? Yeah, well, I thought, <laughs> thought I did. Um, um, but yeah, that was yeah, it wasn't as much as a a learning curve as like kind of going into professional sport. So when I finished uni, I went and worked at a school 
uh, Knox Grammar School. I did some S&C there. I worked with the tennis squad, which was really interesting. Um, yeah, trying to, do, trying to do strength and conditioning with athletes who don't really want to be playing tennis in the first place. They're just doing it because tennis is the easiest sport to do. Oh, wow. Took up the least amount of time. Um, so that was, yeah, that was good. It was good working with the top squads and things and then doing some kind of development stuff. And then... Good facilities too, man. I've been yeah. to lots and it's like... Yeah, that's yeah, awesome facilities there. Yeah. So they're not short of a few quid. <laughs> no, they've got yeah, they've got more. How much money is that gym? It's like several million, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, including the pool, and then yeah, there's a lot of stuff in in the gym itself. They kind of overcated, and oh, let's just buy this because it looks good. So, but they've got some good stuff in there, some good racks, and yeah, it's nice. Yeah, yeah, it's, oh, it's some good stuff. So, what year is this? Like, when did you graduate? So that was 2011, and yeah, I kind of started work at Knox few months after I finished, um, yeah, a few months after I finished uni, I moved some furniture for a while and did all the new kind of odd jobs. And so things. you were working for like a, basically a full year and a bit before you got that internship at the Roosters? Um, yeah. And how did that yeah. come about? Um, so that kind of came about um, more so through the Waratahs than anything else. Um, they, they advertised for an internship, so I went along there. I was lucky enough to get an interview, so I kind of went along there and um, suited up looked a bit silly and they had an interview with Hayden Hayden Masters and Tom Tomlinson yeah, he just got mentioned on the previous episode of the yeah, podcast where Tom's very popular no no Hayden oh Hayden did yeah because oh. Graham used to he did his internship at Western Force in 2003 oh, yeah. Hayden was in charge there, there. Yeah. yeah so yeah um, I'm not sure how but I kind of impressed them and wooed them well I didn't really woo them impress them enough half woo <laughs> yeah kind of I did a good job to kind of implant myself in their memory and um, I didn't get the internship but um, Hayden bumped into Craig Walker at the Roosters one day and sent me an email and said I bumped into Craig um, they're looking for some interns um, and sent me his email and so I kind of emailed Craig about five times in the space of a day and said hey I'm really keen um, so yeah one morning I went along and said I'm keen to come in and help out and he kind of walked me through and said stuff. And what kind of interview process was it? Um, was it just, you know, you don't have a conversation? It was pretty informal, yeah. yeah. Um, I think Hayden had given pretty good heads up about okay. about me and, and stuff. So it was, yeah, very, yeah, it was very almost surreal. It was after applying for every job under the sun, I thought I was capable of, and now I know I wasn't. And now, yeah, I was kind of, I think I went in on a Wednesday and then he just said, come in on a Monday, come in Monday and we'll kind of see how it goes. From there, yeah, kind of. They just said, Oh, yeah, come in, and yeah, so I just went in every day, but yeah, kept showing and up, kept showing up, and didn't go away. That's and one of your best traits. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you just keep showing up, I just showed up, and yeah, they didn't say, didn't say, don't come back. They gave me some kit, um, they put me on an email list, and yeah, that was. I set myself that's up. Just a, I set that's my like Facebook official. Yeah, I set myself up with a desk, and yep, I was over the moon. Getting what kind of stuff were you responsible for during that year? Um, it was pretty. Uh, it, was, it was good in. It was good being in that environment, but I wasn't really given given like a formal responsibility, which I think I think personally is a big part of an internship. Like if you're going to bring interns in. You need to give them roles and responsibilities and show them that they need, to, they need to flourish and, and things. Um, and also, I mean, it, when everyone within an organisation knows what their roles are, then you can train them for it and then you can kind of measure their progress. But yeah. if you're 
if you're kind of bottom of the pile and you just get random shit jobs thrown to you left, right and centre and it's always changing you don't necessarily have that opportunity to try some development yeah so like yeah I kind of made some roles up for myself like did a lot of the intern jobs that like I think kind of develop you as a coach and like you need to do to kind of have a better appreciation for the yeah. good stuff in the high life so just putting like cleaning up the gym putting weights away yeah. filling up water bottles like just entering data into spreadsheets yeah. and making spreadsheets look pretty for coaches and yeah. that kind of stuff and like I think doing that kind of stuff as part of a, like education in itself like learning how to do that making mistakes having to redo them and things but then more importantly I suppose once that stuff's done like, out of the way that's when you go looking for extra opportunities on top to actually oh. you know, get the coaching hours on your belt. Because yeah. I always yeah. say that once the piss pots are done and once all the water bottles are done, that's when you start learning. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, so definitely like then try to just kind of immerse myself as much as I could in that kind of environment. Um, so yeah, Craig was, Craig was great in terms of he was in charge of like the on-field conditioning um, for the club and kind of off-feet conditioning as well. So um, in terms of like on field conditioning he would like he would show me like I'd help him set up and then eventually move into I would set the drills up myself and then he would ex- like kind of explain them and then he'd give me the opportunity to kind of coach and run them per se so maybe I was the hated one because I was the one holding the whistle saying go with minimal rest times and things nothing um, to do with being ginger <laughs> no, 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 no. Oh. and then um, yeah and then kind of got to run the off feet conditioning as well like a little bit you go was good enough well good enough to give me a little bit of freedom with that so just yeah. go they need to do a bike session and they yeah, need to do half an hour projects so, yeah so that was that was kind of good and then good to be able to do that so yeah kind of hung around there for a year in that role and obviously the guys won won the grand final that year do you want to yeah. kind of describe your experience of being in a, in a winning culture like that because you know there's not many coaches out there in, in the professional game you've been able to experience being a part of a winning culture a grand final winning culture do you think there's anything that when you look back stands out from that year that maybe contributed to that success more than anything else besides Sonny Bill Williams I don't think I did any oh, well I don't think I personally did anything I kind of rode some coattails for yeah. 12 months and even just as a fly on the wall is there anything that you look at that and say do you know what that's something that we need to replicate now that I'm with Australia 7s that's something that really contributed to Bruce's success and now I need to try and replicate that yeah, I think there's oh, there's definitely a couple of things like even just from maybe an outside look, oh, maybe an outside looking in or an inside looking at what they're doing. I think one thing that was very key to their success, and I think it's been publicly said as well, the fact that they were able to keep such a core group of players on the field throughout the season. So I think they say they used 25 players through the season. I could be wrong. I, I think it was 26. Yeah, so, but still that's yeah, crazy. Oh. Yeah, so it's such a low number. Be able to keep that core group of players on the field the whole yeah. time, like, and it was the lowest in the league, right? Yeah. So they were. I think they were very lucky. Well, I mean, I don't. It's probably not all luck, but there's some hard work behind the scenes in keeping the squad healthy, and I think that definitely contributed to their success. They've got a very good medical team there, um, and yeah. So I was yeah, kind of very fortunate to kind of learn some rehab stuff there during that time. I think the more the more I was there, the more inquisitive I want to be. I, like, I think I spent my first year at the Roosters trying to immerse myself as much as much as I could. So whether that be rehab, the S and C, like conditioning, the gym stuff, or just whatever. trying to just, find yeah. what you're drawn to as a coach yeah. and what you're good at. Yeah, I think definitely trying to develop a big range of skills at that stage was really important for me. Yeah. So, like, I think for some sessions, I just when the guys were on crutches, I would just 
walk around the gym and change weights for them and things, but like that was part of an education, I think, and then you kind of... It's always good with the injured guys, because nobody gives a fuck about them, because they're out for nine months. Yeah. <laughs> you, can, so, you can make yeah. it Oh, yeah, so, mistakes. like, some of the... One of the physios, Steph Brennan there, who was great, he he would, like, he would help... He would program the stuff, and then I'd go off, and, like, and then I'd ask him questions about why you do this, why you do that, and then eventually he was... He'd, be able to add a bit of input yourself in, in there and he was able to give me a bit of freedom doing some stuff as well so that was yeah great in itself but yeah definitely be able to keep it squad injury free I think they had a good good culture there they had a good bunch of boys there they, a lot of that's Robbo um, yeah a bit of, bit of everything a bit of like the leadership group the coaching group um, they were very determined for success yeah um, and yeah I think Trent, well, within, when Trent within the coaching in, staff or within uh, uh, staff and players within staff and players and I think Trent yeah. led that and the, the, some of the senior players led that as well so that was yeah it was really interesting to see like kind of what the team stuff they did and like the, the approach for for a lot of coaches that was the whole approach for that coaching group was really really good to I see like, what, was a, you know I kind of got on the tail end of that coming in at the end of that season and one of the things that impressed me about Robbo is that he's given a really clear message you know, like yeah. what we're all about so one of the things that they carried over from that season was they're going to be a second half team Yeah, they're never going to win a game or lose a game in the first half they're going to win a game in the second half because they're the team that keeps piling on the pressure and um, kind of choke the other team out and whenever yeah. they do fitness it's to become a second half team yeah. and that's oh, yeah. kind of something that we took with the Pumas last year was that we, we called it um, Año de Tecnica Year of Technique because the technique was so fucking bad before. Everyone talks about, you know, Latin passion and all this stuff and how much heart the boys have got. Mm. And we kind of said, you know, that's fucking bullshit. Like, we need to actually pay attention to the details of what we're doing. So everything oh, we yeah. do, and the yeah. technical. And it's that's just that good. clear message again and again and again. And I always think, when the players take the piss out of you and start spouting that message back, that's when you know it's in their head. Yeah. Oh, that's when you kind of yeah. got them on side. Yeah. Yeah. Nah, that's, yeah, that's, that's good. I think a lot of teams... Like they've got the passion, maybe the skill, but they're not like the execution of a lot of things, detail. whether it be detail, like I, I say like dotting every I, crossing every T type yeah. stuff that athletes need to do. And it, it's just a simple, the it's just a simple stuff. Like it's doing your ice baths or doing your nutrition properly, sleeping properly. Yeah. Like going, oh, there's a good movie on TV, but I've got training tomorrow and I need to go to bed at 9, 30, 10 o'clock. I'm just going to go. Not in Argentina. <laughs> well, one or two o'clock. <laughs> well, I go to bed at 9, 30, yeah. so... Maybe so, um, talk me through the grand final. That's got to be a hell of an experience. You know, your first year in professional sport and you get to go, you get a front seat to the biggest game in rugby league. Yeah, it was yeah pretty surreal getting to... How did the day go? Talk me through it. Um, day was awesome. It's like, it's just a big day. Big big lead up, a lot of lunches, a lot of kind of functions. Got to go to the grand final lunch. So a lot of, is, is the team together basically all week in each other's pockets? Oh, uh, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, there's lunches on and there's like media stuff and there's just there's a lot of stuff I think everyone just kind of binds together does stuff together and, um, consciously or just by accident um, I think just yeah a bit of a bit of both there's just a lot of stuff for them to do and they're like the group I think like, well, from my experiences I think they were all pretty they were a really tight knit group so they did stuff together anyway whether it be go down to have coffee or go for lunch they'd go all go together there wasn't there was a good core group of players there Much, all um, stuff together so much talk about the grand final was it just more important they were kind of in each other's pockets and they were together as a team oh, it's an old cliche it's just another game so like really oh yeah from, from memory it was a long time ago so yeah. maybe the beverages after that night <laughs> <laughs> maybe the cloudiness but yeah it was a great day like it's 
it's a long day. Like what was the, the grand finals? Um, yeah, late in the afternoon, late in the evening. So what was the mood like in the changing room before? Um, it was pretty tense. Really, it was kind of like oh, like there's obviously Robbo is quite calm as a coach when you get him in the changing room. Yeah. So I'd be interested to see what kind of um, effect that would have on the players. I think it's just like those games because the Argentinians go friggin' mental like oh, yeah. you have guys like crying in the Argentinian dressing room it's interesting oh you've got like the thing is you've still got guys like James Maloney who's a massive pest who's messing around and like Jared yeah. Rehydgrave's a very like kind of upbeat guy and yeah. likes a joke and things and he does so there's like I think from a playing playing perspective the player's perspective it was just another kind of game and there's obviously everyone was a little bit more nervous and things but I don't know I think like it's amazing the people that kind of pop out of the woodwork when you make a grand final. There's a lot more, a lot of other people around, um, board members and stuff. And oh, I think they've like, some of them definitely deserve the right to be there. They sure. put a lot into the club and things. But there is those people around, and that kind of adds to a bit more nervous tension. I think they kind of contribute to that a lot. They're like obviously they're very nervous. They're very passionate people about the club. Um, so yeah, that definitely kind of contributes. But like from a playing perspective, coaching perspective, like all the coaches I found were very professional I think I was probably the most excited and nervous and things because I, like, I just didn't know really what to do or how to handle it there had been some coaches who'd been in those situations before and they were oh just, yeah I mean Fitz like, and Craig Fitz yeah. just been there oh, think, done it everything yeah, all the coaches had kind of put a fairly big rap sheet in that year like all those coaches that were there so yeah, it was like they were just they business were as usual yeah, business as usual but, wow <laughs> so um, yeah it was great surreal experience and yeah, it was a surreal game. Like Bruce has really came from behind and yeah. did a pretty good job on Manly. And uh, Sonny Bill stepped up a little bit that game. Didn't yeah, it? Sonny Bill in the second half was phenomenal. Yeah, and, <laughs> like having a front of you see to that, just oh, he's an exceptional athlete. And there's but there's no mistake why he's so good. Like he's as I said before, he he dots every eye, crosses every detail. T, and detail is just you think being exceptional like, world player of the year that he's not going to be out there doing half hour passing every day, but he is. Yeah, he is. Yeah, yeah. You think like. And yeah, from all the coaching I've done, like, like people always ask about Sonny, like, oh, how strong is Sonny, or how not that strong? Sonny. He's, not that, <laughs> he's not that strong, but I don't. Oh, I hope he doesn't hear this because he'll probably come find me or something. Yeah. But um, no, he just—he's very professional. He's detail, detail. He's just like, yeah. And I think he—he's a massive factor in that Roosters, the success, success like just yeah. the kind of aura that he has. And if he's doing the detail, then I kind of educates a lot of the other players that oh this is what I need to be doing they see him success in whatever code or in the boxing that he's done and you're like oh well this is that's how he does it and, and yeah, interestingly that's... enough for me he you know, could argue that maybe he struggled and had not as good a year in 2014 as in 2013 mm. and the the fortunes of the Roosters were similar in that regard yeah it makes oh, you wonder just yeah. how influential he can yeah, be yeah I wasn't privy to the inner workings of 2014 but what I saw of him in 2015 I'm sure he's doing it now in, in Union yeah. yeah phenomenal so um, so you know we'll cut a long story short you obviously didn't get what you wanted out of the Roosters professionally uh, you kind of from conversations that we had you said you know what this is this is not the environment for me mm. maybe I don't figure in their plans and, and vice versa yeah around this time you got yourself an internship with Australia 7s do you want to talk a little bit about how how that came around and how you eventually parlayed that into the position that you're in now. Um, yeah, oh yeah, yeah, obviously didn't, yeah, I wasn't going career-wise where I wanted and... Because um, obviously there's got, you know, it's not just 
as simple as you get your internship, you get a job at the end of it. No. You have to have all those planets aligned. Like, it has to be a good fit for you. It has to be a good fit for them. They've got to yeah. have a job available, yeah. money available. And sometimes it just doesn't happen. Yeah, uh, yeah, I definitely think that was the case. I don't think I'd done anything necessarily wrong yeah. in my time there. I think I'd, like... I saw you work there. You, know, you, did, you did good work. Yeah, like, oh, I think, yeah, some of the stuff I've done, I'm very happy with what I've done. Um, in terms of the skill set, I probably wasn't there enough as a coach. Um, yeah. I hadn't maybe done enough hands-on leading coaching, and yeah, that, that was definitely a really good learning curve. And I think I learned, reflecting back, I learned a lot from just the year being there. So yeah, I finished when I finished after the grand final. I, um, uh, yeah, I got some stuff working with the twenties, um, helping yeah. out with a bit of rehab, like return to play, and then just being a bit of an assistant. Um, and then, yeah, I needed to earn a living, so I went and drove some, did some deliveries and did some stuff like that. And then in that time, I talked to a lot of people and tried to meet a lot of people from other sports and things, and I bumped into Simon Harris, who's with the Australian Rugby Union, and he said um, he was doing some stuff down at the Sevens, and if I had some time, I should come down. So I told mum and dad I was quitting my job as a delivery driver. Strong. And, yeah, that was... A, you got back yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah you have to... Oh, it's what. SNC is what I want to do. I'm not going to move plumbing supplies around Sydney for the rest of my life, hopefully. Um, so yeah, that just, pays a lot better. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, so, yeah, just backed myself, went down there. Um, again, kind of same thing. Was saying, oh, yeah, I'll come in. I think I was coming in Monday, Wednesday, Friday with the rehab group and standing there holding a stopwatch and saying go um, when I started and then three-year degree for that yeah, oh, stopwatch yeah. skills yeah. I, had a good stop, I had a good stopwatch um, and a whistle um, oh shit <laughs> yeah watch out world um, so yeah just kind of again buddied myself up with the staff there so when I was there and uh, John Mitchell was looking after the men's sevens team is that the same John Mitchell who was with England Kiwi guy no, no, different different. Okay. two John Mitchells in rugby one's an SSC coach one's a ah, Kiwi so okay. yeah, John, John was with ARU for Fair few years working with the Wallabies and mainly the Sevens. Yeah. Um, um, so yeah, so kind of buddied up with him and Craig Twentyman, who's with the women's side, mm-hmm. and also Terry Condon, who was the national rehab coordinator for the Australian Rugby Union at the time. So kind of buddied up with them a lot, and um, yeah, I was yeah, kind of starting from the bottom again. But they could obviously see that I'd had a skill base from working with the Roosters. So in terms of like an upskilling, that was. That was really good. You hit um, the ground running in Yeah, oh, yeah. They're not the having to invest the time in you yeah, to develop you. Yeah. I still had a lot of skills to kind of learn, whether they'd be major skills, minor skills, like things like cutting up GPS. Like I learned, John taught me while I was there and yeah. things like that. And um, so, yeah, they obviously showed a fair bit of faith in me and they were very willing to kind of give me tasks and invest. They invested a fair bit of time, well, all of them personally, and then the Sevens program invested a fair bit of time in me. Um, well, obviously, they've got. A return on their investment and yeah, what well, you've been able to contribute yeah so that yeah I, again I tried to immerse myself in as much as I could and then kind of Terry Condon was probably probably one of the people who invested in, like a lot of time and energy into me mm-hmm. and he kind of said to me oh he's yeah he's phenomenal you can never meet the guy or yeah. spend time with him he's great in terms of like a career professional point of view and he was awesome so he pretty much helped me we kind of sat down and said right, right what skills do you need to be an S&C coach and or a rehab coach 
and we kind of, I go, oh, and we listed them off and we spoke to a few other people and they said, yeah, these are the skills you need. And he goes, right, let's get these skills. You're like working backwards from there, yeah. begin with the end of mind and then yeah. work backwards. Yeah, so he just goes like, do you know how to use GPS? It's like, I, I knew a little bit and he goes, just practice. Yeah. And so, yeah, I pretty much took, took charge of doing all the rehab GPS and kind of learned from there. And then that's another kind of string to the bow, that's another skill. Um, yeah, and then, yeah, a lot of other stuff, like kind of, he taught me a lot about, like he's very big on systems, building systems in place, you can put in place rehab this systems. This is perfect, so. yeah, I just did a video about this this morning. <laughs> so yeah, so building systems, so I used to play a bit of rugby when I was at school, and when I, fin- when I went through uni and I finished uni, I played very amateur, very poor rugby. I always wanted to be a professional rugby player. Um, Sounds familiar. <laughs> yeah, yeah there's, there's a lot of probably people out there. And then, oh, yeah, I'll just become an S&C coach. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, through that, I I said to him, I said, like, right, mate, righto, this return to contact stuff rubbish. You can't go from hitting a pad, running into a pad, to then go to live contact. I think there's a few more steps you've got to go through. And so he goes, yeah, righto, we'll sit down, we'll write a system. So Bold, telling me shit his job. <laughs> yeah, I said, mate, this is rubbish. Um, Have a word with yourself. Yeah, and he that was a, a real eye-opener for him as well. Like, I mean, he, was, he's came, he comes from an AFL background, so yeah. he and he's pretty small, so he you wouldn't put him out on a, footy, a rugby field because he'd get snapped in half, and he was very appreciative of the work that we kind of did together. He, like, he kind of led it, but he kind of gave me all the glory for it. Yeah. Um, so, which is great. So, yeah, we kind of built this return to contact kind of progressions and like a system that you can really use and it's really kind of user friendly. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, he does, he done a lot of that stuff like building systems in place for rehab and kind of criteria, like return to play, return to training criteria. What are the big of, ones that you look for? Uh, in terms of like GPS, GPS measures? Yeah, looks? GPS measures, strength measures, um, yeah, a lot of things like that. Um, cool. Yeah, so that, yeah, it was great in terms of all that kind of stuff. And yeah, he was very, very beneficial to upskilling me. So he he moved on from the Sevens, went down to Geelong, um, AFL. Geelong AFL. Yeah. So he's down there now. And, um, Which is where Suki used to be. Yep. Now she's yep. making it rain in the NBA. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's a small world. Um, I think Suki, Suki and Terry are really good friends as well. So oh, really? Through, through Terry, I was able to meet Suki and do some. Do, ah, okay. Go to her one of her first seminars, which I found oh, the very times. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, knee rehab stuff or rehab yeah. stuff so that was great um, yeah and then when Terry moved on I kind of stepped into his role as in an interim and then you just kept showing up so they gave you the job basically oh they started paying me then um, which was nice is that right they paid you part time before they you went full time or was it yeah so just the way the sevens kind of worked was very beneficial for me so when teams would go away with the 12 would go away yeah the guys so that's, guys that's and girls would, 12 yeah, so 12 go away yeah. to a tournament. Um, so you've got seven on the field and then five on the bench. Um, so there'd be, whatever, eight no, yeah, eight guys left behind or eight girls left behind. We have got squads of 20 at the moment. Um, so yeah, look after them. So they needed... I said, well, I could not turn up one day and like they'd have no one there. So they said, they go, okay, well, we've got to pay this guy so he does turn up. Yeah, um, yeah so I was able to do that um, through them. Um, hey, so yeah. that's the right way. I think that's the right way to do it is like... You have to you have to do such good work to make them realise that if you don't turn up, yeah. that's a serious yeah. gap missing. And then, yeah. and you know, you've justified in their eyes yeah. that you're you're worth being paid. And you actually you need to be paid to do yeah. that job. So that, yeah, all the staff are good in terms of kind of, uh, yeah, some pretty good good and decent responsibilities that 
kind of made the wheels tick and turn over. So they were able to give me a lot of that stuff. That so when it came to an interview, it came to a time where they said, "Oh yeah, need to do a role." And like the, you got all the right had, yeah, people saying the right, the right tools, things about yeah. you. And yeah, it was good enough to the coach, and he kind of said to me that he wants me there no matter what. So yeah, so then. Yeah, hey, they, I'll tell you, I didn't tell you, but me and my missus had a high five when you told us that you uh, you got your job. Because yeah. obviously, like you've been slugging away for nearly two years, which yeah. is a lot of people would give up before oh, then. And we, you and me, had coffee that year, and just and you know, so only yeah. when you give up, then it's over. You have to keep plugging away. Yeah. And oh, a lot yeah. of people give up. I definitely think that yeah, those yeah, a lot of hard hard times and doing like and looking back at it now, it kind of seems to come relatively quickly when you're in in when you're in it and you're living it it doesn't seem to be a light at the end of the tunnel um, yeah I had a couple of like failed interviews and things and learned a lot from them um, definitely like yeah I had a I think Terry organised me to have an interview with Leinster and I just, oh, that I, just rehab I had to disgrace myself I think so oh man <laughs> Um, I, kind of had no, I kind of had no idea what I was talking about, but the guy said afterwards, he goes, you seem like a good bloke, so um, I said, you've got a bit to learn still, so that was, yeah, that was bloody, that was a rocket up the arse, um, but yeah, like, I think, yeah, did some hard yards and stuff, yeah. and it was definitely worthwhile, I think you've kind of got to do those hard yards to earn your stripes. Brick walls exist to turn away the unworthy. Yeah, so, yeah, I, was, I think it was, in terms of that, I was really, like, like I know a lot of people can't do it because of because of because a lot of a variety of reasons I was very lucky to have like supportive parents that I could, you need that support network yeah, and then along with that like a good support network network of coaches who you meet like obviously yourself um, Alex Cortez who's now at the Waratahs we've, we've become really close mates um, and then yeah a lot of other guys obviously like Tom. supportive guys like Tom Hayden yeah. uh, like John Craig Terry all at ARU like yeah, obviously Hayden, a lot of the coaches and like the players as well were were all really good and then obviously other people here meet like Steph Brennan at the Roosters was great yeah. um, so yeah like there's a lot of people who kind of invest time in you and want to see you do well and they kind of help you out so they're kind of they're pretty happy with me that network, I got a job network, as well network. yeah oh, yeah <laughs> it's definitely a big thing I, I don't like I don't like to kind of suck up to people or whatever but definitely try and meet as many people as you can just put yourself out there yeah oh, yeah. you just say I am Will I do this and Blah blah blah. Can I have some help, please? Yeah, oh, yeah. It turns out they're, are, they're humans after all, hey. A lot of people are very willing to kind of help you. Yeah. Um, if you buy them a pint. It, yeah. yeah. <laughs> if you buy them enough coffee and you yeah. kind of turn up and do all their shit, shit jobs for them, they're very kind of willing that. I think, yeah, kind of proves you, shows your work ethic as well. So, so now that you're the. Uh, now you're the guy doling out the shit jobs to your interns and stuff. No, I'm still doing the shit jobs. <laughs> well, I like um, to do all the jobs. Yeah, I'm pretty... I, I, like, I think through probably yeah, upbringing and parents and values and that kind of stuff, I still like to do all the kind of the hard yards. You're not I ready think. to transition to uh, to lazy management where you delegate and take nah, all the, bre- not all the yet. credit? Not yet. I like to, I'm pretty... I'm OCD to a point as well, so I like to see things done. S&C OCD? My highway. Classic. So, you yeah. got me so-so in the gym, mate. Hey? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> still, your, um, there's still my intern like coming through, and I like to clean up the gym from time to time. So. You gotta let it go. No. What? Um, no one else does it, so I have to do it. What are your roles like now? Uh, or no, talk, talk me through your process for, for rehab. Let's. You get a player that's just been injured. What do you have to put in place to get them back to where they are? Talk me through it in you know stages. Oof. Uh, so yeah, yeah. So we kind of keep it to less than an hour. Your answer. Okay. <laughs> where do I start? Uh, yeah, basically, 
like we have a four stage kind of criteria mm-hmm. and they're all kind of like nicely color coded and everything cool. acute phase regeneration phase reconditioning and transition phase okay um to our rehab so each one of those depending on injury has got an exit criteria subjective and objective yep um so whether it be they need to run at six meters a second according to gps and is it pain-free, for example? Yeah, yeah, yeah. pain-free, running at six minutes a second, no apprehension running at six minutes a second, or whether it be like a, hand, a dynamometer, dynamometer meet, uh, measure within 90% of the other side or 90% of a previous measure when they were full strength. So, yeah, you've got those to kind of work off to help, to help you guide you through the way. Um, and yeah, there's kind of a lot of other stuff that goes with, depending on the injury. That what are the most common injuries that you see? Is it the, the non-contact stuff? Um, yeah, a lot of... Um, yeah, like I, yeah, I've seen like a wide variety of injuries at this stage and I'm still not sure. Like, I think with the women so far, my kind of gut feels since being in the role, like they've had a lot of contact, contact loaded injuries for probably in my, in my opinion, a lot of reasons and then other people's opinion, some other reasons as well. And then with the men, I think we've seen a lot of non-contact injuries, but at the same time, like rugby is a collision sport, so you get contact injuries and not preventable you just got to deal with it uh, to an extent yeah, to, to an extent, extent. Oh, okay. I think in oh, contrast yeah. to the non-contact injuries yeah. non-contact 100% preventable yeah. in my oh, opinion yeah yeah, definitely so yeah. it's just trying to yeah definitely really put your stamp on trying to really prevent those non-contact injuries having I think that's one area I've still got to really upskill on is just having that kind of authority to say like no such and such not training today because of these reasons and, and this is where you need your data to, yeah, to yeah. back you up because yeah. you know, I, I always say it's sports science not sport feeling yeah. I don't give a fuck how you feel yeah, yeah, yeah. show me the numbers to, yeah. to back it up so it's about yeah kind of using those data points really well and having what, a history uh, behind them things with the what players. key metrics are you looking at to inform your decisions or the information you present to coaches um, no, with sevens being the game that it is, high speed meters. So we say high speed meters are over six meters a second. Mm-hmm. So the amount of high, like high speed, high speed meters that they run um, in a training session, that's one of the, the keys we look at. Obviously, everyone looks at back cells, D cells, um, and things like that. And then obviously, like their running volume are the big ones we look at. Um, and then just kind of how their weeks looking. Um, any any kind of um, readiness prior to training that you're going to use to uh, to assign training load for that day or is it more of a uh, kind of bigger picture looking at like weekly loads for example yeah bigger picture at this stage um, like yeah in terms of like a readiness to train we don't do too much like we kind of have what we call a check-in process so they do sit and reach groin squeeze those kind of, readiness yeah, yeah. Oh, well, yeah there they are but yeah I know a lot of other teams clubs use a few other things previously when John Mitchell was in charge of the program the boys would do um, jump a jump kind of test so yeah. using the gym aware is that like a reactive like strength a, index uh, or just a... no not a reactive strength index just a kind of power yeah. power output so through kind of he's doing his PhD research on it so I probably can't give away too much yeah. but I think we definitely definitely found when the when the boys are hot or on a training well their jumps are up um, yeah. so yeah, I think he's got... He'll we have, found exactly the same. Yeah, so that's one area we I like to use and want to try and bring back yeah. or, or use a bit more, look into a bit more. So yeah. um, definitely to have, kind of have another measure there. Um, I suppose more than anything as well, it's you can have all the measures in the world, but unless you actually do something with it, 
and oh, put yeah. it into meaningful information for the coach. It's yeah. ultimately used to see you'd rather have one or two pieces of information that give you that prompt really meaningful conversations with yeah. the coach than twenty. Yeah, yeah. And it's about having obviously having that data and then having the history behind it with saying, Oh yeah, so we've seen this in the past. Yeah. Let's be really predictive in what we're doing here, not reactive. It's no point being reactive because it's too late then. I think it's be proactive, yeah? Yeah, you need to be yeah, more proactive. And that's definitely one of the things we're still kind of looking at and growing as a program is being more proactive with a lot of our decision-making. I think it's all programs are doing it. I don't think no one, anyone's going to say they're perfect, but I think there's some pro- there's right. programs, that are, there's programs that are better than others. So, um, And in your opinion, with the programs that are better than others, obviously oh, I've got my own opinion about this. I'm curious, do you think the reason that they're better is because of what they're doing? Or is it the application and the detail that they put into that? Um, yeah, probably both. Yeah, I'd yeah. say, yeah. Like, Who, for um, your mind, has the best uh, program uh, within World Sevens, for example, that you've um, seen? I haven't really seen too many other than Sevens programs. Um, like, so, yeah, for, for example, really who, comment who, on, who yeah, would you say, that. who do you hold up as like the, the benchmark for... For a program and say you know what, this is what we're going to try and aim towards oh, based on performance it's always going to be in New Zealand at this stage yeah they just their results kind of speak for themselves in terms of the World 7s just not, not only this year but um, in times gone past um, obviously Fiji are right up there but I'm not so sure so would you say South Africa too yeah yeah, oh yeah definitely yeah. So, I've sorry, heard some, yeah. some crazy numbers about their GPS I'm not sure whether it's legit but I heard one of their guys hit 40 kilometers an hour on GPS which is that's lightning that's not it's surprising insane. either yeah. I mean the highest I've heard prior to that was 36k which was um, Christian Wade at London Wasps yeah. and he's that's, fast yeah. yeah they've got some some quick guys and they're obviously I think obviously as everyone like with Olymp- the Olympics being a 7 well the 7's being an Olympic sport sorry that people and teams and countries are investing a lot of money in their sevens program and China especially oh yeah I just think countries all over the place are investing money and you see that not just I think you see that in the game style I've had a lot of in the there's a lot of stuff in the press at the moment in Australia and Sydney about who they are you are going to get super rugby players are they going to get Izzy Flower to come play sevens and things and and yeah definitely I think in the past two three four years ago you could get 15s players to transition across to sevens um, very easily but I think definitely in the last two years I just think the game has changed oh really oh I think previously in a lot I'm happy to be proven wrong here but sevens used to be kind of a a byproduct of 15s and I think now so sevens is more its own product yeah and it's a separate sport the game styles the game styles the playing styles are very different and you see, like we've had some guys obviously come into training, get some club players come along, and some club guys try and apply their trade. And then obviously we've had we had nationals in Sydney about two three weeks ago, yeah. and you see some of the players. They're very good players, not not doubting playing abilities of, of individuals or anything, but it's being able to play at a game style and be able to play at that that pace for kind and of I two half well. You see, you almost see players fail to make that transition into 15. So, for example, Carlin Isles trying to play yeah. second division in Scotland. Yeah. Can't get into the team, but yeah. he's one of the one of the better players within World 7s. Oh, yeah, 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 definitely. It's speed kills, baby. Absolutely. <laughs> Rugby strength coach, speed guide. Carlin Isles follows that, doesn't he? Oh, he doesn't need it. He's one of your clients. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> so, I'm curious. What kind of strategies do you have in place to 
get around those difficulties that exist within a sevens tournament. So how many matches are you playing within 48 hours? It's quite a lot, right? Uh, yeah, so a traditional sevens tournament is, what we'd say, you all just go for Saturday, Sunday kind of basis. So you play three pool games in day one, and then you've got up to three on day two, all going to plan. It's a quarter, yeah. quarterfinal, semifinal, and then the cup final. Um, but even so, the way that kind of sevens tournaments work, you're going to play two to three games in the second day based on your results if you're going into the bowl or the plate. Um, Some other form of crockery. Yeah, which you don't, <laughs> you don't want to win. You don't celebrate coming fifth, which yeah. is a plate. So, um, But, yeah, there's a lot of strategies um, that we kind of go through, like a lot of nutrition recovery-based strategies, and obviously being able to, the players being able to handle that kind of load. You think um, a lot of that is just in terms of building up the volume through training to be, yeah, make sure oh, that they yeah. can handle that load in a game. Yeah, so having that having that kind of training base um, really specific to the sevens game. So as I said before, high-speed metres are a big thing in sevens. It's a lot faster pace, metres per minute are, you'd say, I think some of the stats we kind of churn out as a kind of a, a wholesale at 100 to 110 metres a minute for a sevens game. And then Super Rugby, you're looking at 70 metres a minute and then yeah, test matches sweet. 80 metres a minute kind of. Just with some really loose kind of ballpark. You'd be figures. lucky to hit that for you know 100 plus for a couple of minutes in the game. Yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. So unless you're going burko, um, but yeah, like definitely the kind of building up those the training volume um, is really really important. And yeah, yeah that boys have some hard slogs. Like um, I think we spoke about before about the Roosters being that second half team. Yeah. Um, one of the things like with sevens is you need to be a day two team. Um, so it's yeah. definitely something you need to, like kind of an attitude and mentality, like with a lot of our trainings, we've had some hard days, but the big thing, like the big thing that we pro- like we preach to the players and everyone is, you need to be able to turn up tomorrow, because tomorrow's finals day, so we've done a lot of stuff, um, through some of our staff, we've kind of implemented um, like a tournament day, so where you do three sessions in a day. Um, with so kind almost of, like a like a realisation phase of periodization, you know, yeah. where you're starting to take everything that you've developed before yeah. and put it into a realistic context yeah. and can so, actually do it on yeah. the pitch. So I think pre-Dubai we did we did a day and we played, we trained at the same exact same times as when we were going to play, yeah. um, so things like that. So guys could, could trial and implement nutrition strategies, recovery strategies and things like that and it was just, it's just about, it's hard slog sevens. Like I, I, I've only been, I've been to two tournaments now um, one in like a S&C role and one in, a, in very much an education role so the Gold Coast last year I was there to kind of to learn and to watch and to help out so it's just like guys have got to get themselves up for three days three games in a day and like the games can be quite late on day one or day two just about getting up for them so it's a hard slog like yeah. and you may not feel hungry but you've got to get food into you to be able to kind of perform the next day because guys if they don't they're going to their performance is really going to suffer that's more kind of game day strategy and how does the, that, the travel come into it? Do you do a lot of stuff to try and mitigate for the, the effects of jet lag, for example? Um, yeah, oh yeah, definitely. With, like, with, the, with the program we've had in place, we've got support from the AIS, uh, the Australian Institute of Sport down in Canberra. Um, so def- we utilise a physiologist a lot in terms of like, kind of recovery, jet lag strategies, so they send us a fair bit of information, upskill the boys and... I suppose we're lucky that we've got some guys with a fair bit of experience who are able to, to able to do that stuff. Um, I think the majority of the time the boys aren't flying at the pointy end of the plane as well, so yeah. we've had some struggles with some of our bigger boys and our more hamstringy guys who get a bit tight back in the yeah. in the back of the plane. And we so. always put our um, 
second rows get the the leg room. But I, I was when when they do the uh, the championship like the long haul, it's business. Yeah. But you know when we're um, when we're flying within Argentina, like we're flying economy. Yeah. And obviously, it's the tallest guys that get the seats in the front. Yeah. You got guys that are still six foot six behind them, yeah. yeah. with their knees around their chin. Yeah. So yeah, I, I've got my own separate views that I might not. We will discuss without the podcast. But not about <laughs> a lot of a lot of travel things and the boys being in the back and some suits being in the front. Um, but I think a lot of unions and teams and things kind of yeah struggle with that stuff. So the boys are just they flew up to Hong Kong yesterday, and I think they all flew economy. So. Got the same money. Your pains are off a lot salary. Yeah, yeah. So I think sometimes the boys have been like the longer haul stuff to Europe. They've been lucky enough to be able to get a couple of upgrades, and then yeah. that's obviously prioritised between your stars. Yeah. And your your guys. So yeah, there's a lot well, of strategies. Mate, let me tell you a story. Right, they're going to be nameless, but there's two England players um, playing for England Saxons. This is when it was. You remember the Churchill Cup? So it used to be yeah. England, yes. Ireland, all those nations plus. Yes. America and Canada yeah. and uh, there were two players within the squad who got their premiership start that year and they started making a bit of money they had really good seasons so the team were in the airport coming home from uh, the Churchill Cup to go back to Europe and these two guys paid to upgrade themselves whilst their mates were in the uh, economy <laughs> so you probably don't want to do that you know, nah, nah. either all together or not at all <laughs> yeah oh yeah yeah that's yeah, I think they've had a couple of cases where they've only had a couple of upgrades and then... That's got to create some division. <laughs> and the new boys, new boys end up at the back. Naturally. Yeah. So, so um, you've got to have a right of passage, I think. So. Kind of wrapping up, who are some people you listen to in the industry and why? Um, rugby, say three people. Rugby strength coach. Great guy. Terrible bloke. Um, <laughs> as I said before, um, like, and I kind of got asked this question when I had, a, had an interview and... They kind of ask me like mentors and, and things, and I yeah you list off like all the people I've spoken about before, like John Mitchell, Craig Twentyman, Terry Condon, um, Steph Brennan at the Roosters, yourself, um, and then I definitely think it's like more a peer group kind of thing for me. Like you find you, that more powerful than, for uh, example, like an academic or a oh a yeah, you definitely read like what academics coming out like all the kind of the journal articles that are coming out and I felt to try and be as proactive as I can in terms of reading yeah. a fair bit of literature and taking some ideas away and um, not taking everything but definitely picking, good picking, stuff. picking at things yeah. yeah and yeah giving it a bit of a trial I've been lucky enough to do some stuff with some junior boys and you can give them give them a bit of stuff you can trial guinea pigs. out guinea pigs you gotta as long as you don't break them um yeah. But yeah, definitely having that peer group to discuss ideas over. So it's almost more important. Yeah, it's funny. I saw Alex Alex Cortez at the Waratahs yesterday, and we were just talking about hamstring rehab for 10, 15 minutes. I bet and you took him to school. Not My missus wasn't too happy with the conversation, but I think she learned a bit about hamstrings. But um, yeah, definitely things like that. You can bounce ideas around. Like I think I feel more comfortable discussing a lot of those things with Alex and maybe yourself. And you kind of don't feel silly if you're saying things that are blatantly obvious. And, and I suppose in a way, speak to some some guys with some more experience and stuff as well. Like I definitely think you can't be too proud to ask silly questions sometimes, or ask for help yeah. from other people. So and it's from those relationships that you almost find the resources. Oh yeah. Because if you're yeah. speaking to other people who know more than you, or you're trying to seek out other people, they're going to direct you to the resources. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, I've been lucky enough to 
know some people that kind of help me out and then yeah read read as much as I can and kind of the role lets me in the role role entails I've got some some long days bouncing between two squads sometimes so yeah definitely when you got that downtime you're uh, you're reading up yeah I think well and I say like I think social media is really good for that Twitter's been I think where can people find you on Twitter I think at, at WS Strength or just Will Stewart so I don't really I tweet some silly things to my mates more than Cat I videos, use uh, yeah just Miley Cyrus yeah like I that. troll a lot of my mates that put some good stuff out yeah, um, but yeah I think that's one thing that the, the industry does really well is use social media and there's I found a lot of coaches and that's why you kind of stroll across and stumble across a lot of kind of articles that are flying out there or research you need a finely finely tuned bullshit Thomas though uh, yeah yeah there's <laughs> some absolute bullshit that's out there um, tread with caution tread with caution people I think oh, yeah, def- oh definitely I think like I think four or five years ago if I was an upcoming coach and I'd kind of you'd see that a lot of that stuff that's out there and I think there's some really good stuff out there um, that people are doing um and yeah, there's some really good stuff out there. Like, I, like from an education point of view, the, the stuff that you've kind of shown me and given me, your videos are really good. And there's some like some really good stuff out there. There's some, there's some rubbish out there, but that's just people trying to make a buck yeah. and selling their souls. So yeah, like I think that's one thing in the last since I've started at the Roosters, mate. When I was like, when a couple of years ago, I think maybe then I was going and listening to everything and taking everything on board and taking yeah. that as gospel and now I'm just you kind of yeah sit back a bit, bit more don't believe the hype show me yeah, the numbers yeah oh yeah 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 oh yeah I'm doing this because it feels good and then yeah give me a bit more proof for that so yeah. no it's, it's Twitter's, Twitter's good Twitter's gold cool let's wrap up there mate oh, let's hit the gym yeah, <laughs> yeah. thanks yeah. very much mate no pleasure it was great good to talk